0: Hello, and welcome to The Dispatch Podcast. I'm Andrew Egger, Associate Editor at The Dispatch, editor of our Dispatch Politics newsletter. I'm joined today by John Schweppe, who's policy director for the American Principles Project here in DC. John is a smart guy and a friend. He's always interesting to talk to on social issues. He also does not hail from what we might consider the dispatch corner of the conservative coalition. Uh, He describes himself as more of a populist than a conservative, although uh, I think a little bit fluid, some of these definitions. And I hope you enjoy the conversation. John Welcome to the Dispatch
1: Podcast. Andrew, thanks so much for having me.
0: Your organization, the American Principles Project, is a socially conservative organization that is primarily concerned, which I think is interesting, not with uh, abortion, uh, but with some of the more recent social issues that have started to motivate Republican voters, uh, issues touching some of the broader and arguably more inscrutable category of wokeness, trans issues, attempts to ban or regulate online porn, stuff like that. So Uh, I think it's probably fair to say you're a fellow traveler of the pro-life movement, but not actually a card-carrying professional member of that movement, which hopefully will facilitate the conversation that I'm hoping to have today, which is uh, essentially just how much trouble is that pro-life movement in. So I guess I just want to start out with that sort of broad strokes question about uh, where the pro-life movement finds itself today. Last year in June you get Dobbs, uh, the, the Supreme Court case that ends Roe v. Wade. It's this culmination of decades of judicial effort, real high watermark. Then in November, pro-lifers uh, see America go to the ballot box and uh, pro-life the pro-life side loses on the ballot every single place it's directly on the ballot, red states and blue states. And Democrats see this huge boost on the issue nationally, uh, even in places where it's not directly on the ballot. And meanwhile, at the same time, there's... Um, data that has started to emerge to suggest that the number of abortions taking place in America has not actually fallen since Dobbs, although some women who want to procure them are obviously having to work harder to do that now that some of these state-level restrictions have gone in. So was the year 2022 on net a positive or a negative for the pro-life movement?
1: That's a, I mean, that's a tough question because obviously overturning Roe has been a long-term goal of the pro-life movement and necessary to really ever obtaining any sort of victory down the road. So I think you have to look at it as a positive in the long term, certainly in terms of the short term. uh, You know, we let's not forget, you know, before uh, Dobbs, you know, people were looking at the pro-life issue as a political winner. You know, they were talking about it as something that you could use against Democrats in campaign commercials and elections. Uh, Nobody was really running away from it, uh, not to a great degree anyway, on the right And that's changed. And so I think, you know, that's what we're talking about here today. Obviously, um, the pro-life movement has uh, to recalibrate a little bit, figure out what's next and how to be organized. But, you know, I think what really happened after Dobbs was two things. One was that, you know, the pro-life movement was a little bit scattered in terms of what the next step is. And I think a lot of folks, especially more grassroots activist types, um, were excited and thought, okay, we can finally end this scourge that's been on America for so long. We can save all these babies. Let's not give an inch. Let's not compromise. Let's go full personhood. And you see that, especially, you know, if you look at like the Christian nationalists and some of these folks, I mean, they are no apologies, no compromise. Anyone who wants to compromise is a squish. Um, But the the reality is because we have this kind of discombobulated pro-life movement, Uh, You know, they approached the Republican Party with mixed messaging. And so the Republican Party wasn't sure really what to do. A lot of these folks, you know, in Congress or I guess you could say establishment Republicans weren't necessarily super passionate about this issue anyway. Uh, They didn't want to talk about it. And so you just had over the few months after Dobbs this um, complete chaos on the issue. And that led, I think, to the worst position the pro-life movement had ever been as we went into the midterms in 2022.
0: Yeah, I want to talk about some of the you mentioned the, the mixed messaging. And that's that's something I've heard from a number of pro-life advocates, activists uh, kind of picking up the pieces since those midterms. A lot of whom will argue uh, that the kind of electoral bloodletting that that you saw was not necessarily as bad as it looked. I mean, they bring up this mixed messaging. They talk about uh, the fact that a lot of Republicans ran away from the issue of abortion. They just kind of hoped other things like uh, inflation or the border. Uh, or the economy, we're going to kind of, uh, that's two economy things, we're going to kind of outweigh uh, voters and that they can kind of afford to lose voters on this issue, ended up not really being the case. It ended up being the case that that Democrats saw huge, huge gains on this. And so they say, well, next time around, we can't let that happen again. We can't let Democrats define us on this again. Instead, we need to kind of plant our flag in a defensible place. Um, can you just talk a little bit about what what groups like yours see as like kind of what those next steps ought to be for Republican messaging on, on this issue?
1: Well, first, I think we have to recognize that the Democrats did find a extremely strong political attack. Uh, they spent, I think it was um, five hundred million dollars in the midterms, uh, according to The New York Times, on abortion ads. Uh, that number is likely to go even larger in 2024. Um, the Democrats have already kind of you know said that, that this is the issue they really want to focus on. And, you know, Republicans, I think, look at that and they think, oh, you know, this is a reason to, to continue to hide from the issue. Um, you even have, you know, uh, Donald Trump has been out there saying, hey, abortion is the reason we lost in 2022. We got to get away from this. I think the problem is, you know, when you have an attack like, you know, what the Democrats were saying, which is basically uh, Republicans want the 11 year old girl in Ohio who was raped to to be forced to give birth. Uh, they want the woman with the. Um, uh, the medical condition, uh, the ectopic pregnancy to die on the operating table. These types of attacks are like 85% of Americans are like, get the abortion, please. Like, do not. And so when that's what we're up against and Republicans are pivoting literally to inflation, which is what happened in 2022, uh, you didn't see a lot of, besides from like Susan B. Anthony list, you didn't see a lot of um, uh, abortion advertising where you know, they're attacking the Democrats on their extremism or whatever, uh, that kind of settled in. And so I think for a lot of normie voters, uh, they did go to the polls thinking about abortion. And their impression of Republicans was that they want to ban it in all cases, no exceptions. Um, so our position at APP, and I think other groups have taken this position as well, is you have to have a counter. You know, that that's still always going to be a vulnerability for the pro-life movement. It's not Ground that we'll ever, I think, win. I mean, it's maybe, maybe way down the road, but it's it's challenging, right? Those are diff- the exceptions are difficult. That's why exceptions end up in all these bills to begin with. Um, but you know, we do win on certain issues. Like you look at uh, the 15-week bill. Obviously, is one where Gallup has pulled it. All sorts of folks have pulled it, and you know, large pluralities or even majorities of Americans support 15-week bills with exceptions. Um, even the heartbeat bill, the six-week bill often you'll see pluralities and sometimes majorities supporting. So I think if Republicans can organize and get behind one strategy of what they want to do and really message that and then also counter it with, hey, you know, Democrats, uh, like this new Democratic senator, LaFonza Butler, an abortion radical, they support abortion all the way up to the moment of birth. That's pretty extreme. We don't want that. You send that attack out there against their attack, and then maybe it muddies the water a little bit, and you can talk about some of the other issues in a winning way.
0: I guess the thing that, that I wonder about when I hear this and, and you hear this sort of thing all the time about the way that you know, that, that there are, that it is possible to you know, go out and do public opinion polling with about you know specific limits, about specific types of restriction uh, and get a positive response from voters. Um, at the same time, uh, you could argue that that is perhaps one of the things that kind of lulled the pro-life movement into a sort of sense of, of unearned security going into these midterms where, you know, maybe when, when, when a pollster picks up the phone calls you, uh, the median voter behaves in a certain way, but when it's actually on the ballot, I mean, it, it, at least based on the data we have right now, it seems they have been moving a different direction where, where it was not just an issue of, of sort of muddled messaging that, that caused these ballot initiatives to fail, uh, that pro-lifers wanted to see succeed, even in Kansas and Kentucky and Montana. And, you know, this cycle, we're seeing a real push from uh, from uh, uh, pro-choice groups uh, to get similar measures on the ballot in places like South Dakota and Ohio. And and Republicans are really backpedaling and and kind of just just very much playing defense this cycle. So how do you reconcile those two kinds of data point? Like, like, is there something where where even if you maybe have uh, 50 percent plus of people, In theory, on this issue, they're just not showing up uh, when it comes to actually implementing public policy.
1: Well, a big part of it, and we see that on every issue, you have to actually compete in the public square to win. So when Democrats are, you know, the ones who are monopolizing the advertising, you know, world with this issue, of course, they're going to start, you know, pulling people to their side. And I think in some of these uh, state referendums, that's actually what we're seeing. We're seeing the pro-life message either be muddied or being outspent or both. Right. And so they're in a they're in a tough situation. Ohio, very similar situation where we had, um, you know, Amendment one and, and, you know, a little bit disappointing result earlier. Hopefully November will go better. But again, it's all sorts of muddied messaging. I think we just have to be very clear on what we support. Um, and that's where, you know, ultimately I, I should say this, too. Uh, when you're doing all these different state efforts, you know, you are dividing the pro-life movement, which is under um, underfunded compared to the left, right, completely. And so then, you, you know, you're in a situation where if you go state by state, the left can kind of divide and conquer. And I think they've been doing that really well on this issue. And so that's why, you know, I really think it makes a lot of sense to make a federal argument where if we leave it to the states, which some uh, squishy Republican politicians have said, um, you know, I think we're going to lose. And so just practically speaking, you do something at the federal level, you make this a federal argument, Um you know, a national limit at 15 weeks or whatever, then you can actually start to win on it. I did. I did want to mention something as 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 well on this, which is that your 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 point on polling is absolutely correct. Um, how you frame this determines what voters think. So, if you say a national abortion ban, which is what the Democrats have run with, it, it polls pretty badly for the pro life side. Sounds bad, right? A national abortion ban that sounds like every abortion. That's why they say it so often. Uh, when you say uh, a you know, common sense limit at 15 weeks, you know, obviously it's a little bit different even on the transgender issues. You know, we, you and I have talked about this a lot, but uh, you know, Republicans are clearly seeing that banning sex changes for kids and all of that is extremely popular. But if you use the democratic messaging and say uh, they want to end discrimination against trans people, that's pretty popular too, right? So you just have to make sure you're framing it right and actually fighting in the public square.
0: So when you're talking about you know getting this messaging effort kind of everybody rowing in the same direction, obviously this is a good opportunity to pivot to talking about the presidential election because you need if right now uh, there is no more consensus today among Republican strategists and and Republican politicians about about how to kind of get everybody moving in the same direction. No more no more consensus on that today than there was going into 2020, going into the 2022 midterms. So. Uh, I know I've talked to plenty of pro life people who say it's so important to have somebody at the top of that ticket who is who is you know essentially whipping the uh, Congress to get behind something like that. That's not really what we're seeing out there from a lot of these candidates right now. And I wanted to ask. I think you mentioned Donald Trump earlier. He has opted for a different path this time around, uh, where you can essentially argue that he has made the choice uh, that or made the calculation that pro lifers are essentially a net liability going into 2024. Where does that leave these strategies? I mean, he's the front runner for the nomination. You think uh that pro-lifers probably get crushed again in this next election if there is not somebody leading from the front on this. Where does that leave you?
1: I mean, it's not good. I think he's he's clearly making a mistake here um by by kind of accepting this what I would call a false dichotomy of what happened in 2022, which is basically, you know, there's two sides to this. Either abortion caused us to lose or Trump caused us to lose. I wonder where Trump's going to fall on that one, right? Um, But I don't think it is actually just those two things. I mean, I think there's a lot that went into it, uh, especially on our economic message, which I thought was, frankly, very weak. You know, we were pointing to inflation and crime and saying, oh, this is all the Democratic, you know, the Democratic Party's fault. And I actually don't think voters bought that. I think you look at it, um, you know, inflation was clearly both parties' fault with some of the spending in Washington. So, um, you know, on, on this question of whether there's, you know, kind of a unifying force within the presidential race? And can the presidential candidate lead the Republican Party forward? I think we're starting to see encouraging signs if you take Trump out of the equation for a second, which is unfortunate because he's he is going to be the nominee most likely. But um, certainly on the debate stage, you've seen the last couple debates, more talk about 15 Week. Um, Tim Scott was early on this. Uh, Mike Pence obviously was good on it. But Tim Scott actually got Ron DeSantis to commit to it on the stage, which I thought was a big deal. Um, and then you also look at Trump's specific rhetoric. Now, um, I don't think you can look at his uh, dismissal of, of Ron DeSantis signing the six-week bill in Florida as a mistake. I can't remember what word he actually used, but it was pretty bad.
0: Terrible thing. Terrible, yeah, terrible thing. Mistake. I,
1: think um, I, I don't think you can really apologize for that. But that being said, if you look at the rest of his rhetoric, he is basically saying we want a common sense thing that everyone agrees on. And I think he's leaving himself open to supporting the 15 week ball ultimately. And so I think that's, that's hopefully where we get him. Um, maybe he can fix the rhetoric on the, the heartbeat stuff, but you know, if we do get a Republican candidate who runs on and then wins on the 15 week thing, I think you'll actually start to see, okay, that's where we're going to go. That's where the strategy is going to be. Uh, you might actually see the Republicans, uh, Rebuild the pro-life movement and start to move forward.
0: Again. Well, I will say that it is a perhaps very glass half full kind of uh, uh, way to, to phrase that. Because I've talked to pro-life people who who are kind of quaking at the knees that that Trump will get in there and want to kind of make this kind of uh, compromise and essentially say we're gonna we're gonna essentially move to like a national twenty-week standard, national national twenty-five-week standard, something like that. Um, that would actually kind of invalidate uh, state laws like the one that that DeSantis passed. And I'm I, I'm curious, like. You have these groups like SBA, Pro-Life America, Students for Life. One of the main tasks of groups like this, in theory, is to force Republican candidates to toe the line on some of these issues if they want to win their primaries. If you continue to see Trump come out uh, and talk around this issue, basically say, look, it's in the state's hands now, y'all are doing fine, or we're going to broker some, some compromise where everybody's happy... And he he never budges from that position, and he goes on to win the nomination. Does that mean that abortion will have sort of ceased to be a litmus issue for Republicans going forward?
1: Yeah, no. I mean, there's no question that if Trump, let's say, he leaned more into this uh, six week as a terrible thing, and won, and then won again, won the general. Of course, that would be a disaster um, for the pro life movement. But you know, I do think that when you're one of these groups, you really do have to think about. The reality of the primary and what's I think scary right now is uh, it does look like Trump's going to win. No one seems to be challenging him. I know we've talked a lot about DeSantis, who I really, really like. Um, But you know, it is if you're looking right now, it it is kind of nerve wracking to think, oh, you know, what if uh, Trump wins and he embraces this full pro-choice position? So I think there's a carrot and stick thing to really consider here if you're a pro-life group who's trying to advance pro-life policies. Um, certainly I think for some of these groups to just beat Trump with a stick and try to push him that way, that's probably helpful. Uh, but you know, you look at a group, um, that really has a lot of influence, uh, and, and spends and all of that, you know, I think they, they do have to think about both things and communicating with them and trying to persuade him. Right. So there is that angle too, which is, uh, how can we convince Donald Trump that this issue is actually a winning issue for him, that it's not a liability um, you know, he has the wrong people talking to him on that right now. And um, and I'm afraid that the the mistake that could be made here is he listens to those people. You know, he hides his head in the sand in 2024 on the issue and then he loses. And again, that's actually I would almost argue just as bad because then, you know, once again, abortion will be blamed as the reason for the loss. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: What what do you make of some of the trepidation that we have seen, even from some of these other Republican candidates? I mean, you mentioned that DeSantis, during the debate essentially committed to the 15 week ban. he signed a six week ban in Florida as governor, uh, this, this, uh, past, um, was it just this year that he signed that? I can't remember now. Yeah, Right. Um, time. yeah, yeah. But, but at the same time, you know, it was kind of interesting to watch him come on the national stage and not talk about that very often and, and kind of uh, sort of dance around questions. I mean, he's been running for president a long time. And as you say, he only just kind of now has gotten to that 15 week. A uh, 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 position. And then you can see somebody like Nikki Haley, whose stance has really been like, yeah, okay. I'd sign a 15 week ban if it ever landed on my desk. But I think it's a real mistake for us to be talking about. I mean, it goes right to that strategic issue that we've been talking about. She thinks it's why, why are we as Republicans kind of stringing ourselves up by you know pinning ourselves in on this, on this stuff where where no bill is ever going to get to our desk on this? Why can't we talk about the, the more extreme things that Democrats want to do. Why can't we talk about these sort of broader consensus type uh, uh, policies, you know, more support for mothers, more support for uh, pregnancy centers, all these sorts of things. Um, do you think that the field as a whole is is kind of lagging behind where you guys would like to see them on this issue uh, more so than just, you know, the former president?
1: Well, yeah, well, to the Nikki Haley point, I mean, I think the reason is we owe it to the voters and practically need to tell them what we support. So if you leave it out there, oh, we just want to support crisis pregnancy centers, you know, people are going to believe what Democrats are saying and and that's how they're going to vote. But I think on DeSantis, you know, one of the things that's disappointed me a little bit is that he did have a huge opening to, to really go after Trump, I would say, as early as, you know, the beginning of the year uh, when Trump first started to kind of uh, make this argument publicly or his, his surrogates did that Abortion was why they lost, not him. And so we need to moderate on abortion. Um, and and for whatever reason, uh, they really didn't do that uh, until recently. You know, DeSantis had this line about, um, you know, of course, I'll sign anything. You know, I'm, I'm pro-life at the end of the day, I'm pro-life. But he really didn't go into the specifics. And I think that's probably, you know, I'm speculating here, but I think that's probably because um, they saw some polling like you know, a national abortion ban in those words is unpopular. Uh, people would prefer it just be returned to the states, which, frankly, if you ask conservatives, states or federal on any issue, they're just going to naturally lean to the states. Um, and and I think they probably uh, reacted poorly to that. DeSantis has been someone where that's a strength for him, right? I mean, he's a pro-life hero in a lot of ways. Signing a harpy bill in Florida, I mean, that was uh, legitimately, you know, there's tens of thousands of abortions every year in Florida, so that's a huge deal. Um, and I think they missed out on that. Now, hopefully, you know, there's still time to, to pivot, and maybe they can make an issue of it now. Um, but we are running out of time. I mean, Iowa is coming up, and and as it stands right now, you know, it's it's not where you'd like to see the front runner at on on this issue.
0: I think we can leave it there, John. Thank you for joining the Dispatch podcast.